Hey, good morning. My name is Brian. I'm on staff here at Highland Park, and um, uh, good to start this series with you called It's Just a Face. Thank you, guys. And we'll explain these things in just a little while. But it's a, a really a great time to be at Highland Park. Uh, lots of things that Matt mentioned are launching today, and we're so excited uh, for what that means for Highland Park as a whole, um, for parents, for students, for kids, for grandparents, but for all of us, um, because every phase matters. So I want to just begin this whole series really today by trying to lay a biblical foundation for everything that we're doing. And then hopefully that will kind of let us build off of things a little more specifically for the, for the next six weeks. And just want to tell you, just name a few phrases that you've probably said before, unless you're really young, but then you've heard other people say them before. And every year you hear people say them more and more and more. Things like, man, they just grow up so fast. Or, time flies. Or, how did I get this old? Or, where did all the time go? I mean, we say these things all the time. It's like a human condition. We never figure out how fast time goes. We're always confused, right? And we always think it should go a little bit slower than it's actually going. But there's a few things you probably don't hear, but you've thought them. And the reason you don't hear them is because it's actually too painful for people to say out loud. Things like, I would give anything to have one day back with my child at this certain age. Or, I would do anything to be able to just go back and redo that season of life with my friend or with my parent or with my child or grandchild. I would do anything. And we don't hear those because it's almost too painful to sometimes think about how I wish I could have something over or go back in time and relive something again. And throughout our lives, we experience these different seasons and phases of life, and they kind of just slip from one to the other. I mean, there's some graduations in there, but sometimes when you're in your adult life, it just kind of like slowly fades from one to the other, and we hardly even recognize that it's happened. The church has this very unique calling that we're all called to care for people from womb to tomb. We don't just get to pick one phase and say, hey, we care about people who are 19 and that's it, or we care about people who are this age in adulthood and that's it. No, no, we We care for everybody, all ages, all phases. And so for the next six weeks, we have three big goals that we want to accomplish through these six weeks. And I just want to name them uh, so that you're aware of them, praying for them, and that you're on board with us. The first thing is that we want to encourage people in every phase of life. So if it's a child or a teenager or a young adult or an adult, senior adult, uh, married, single, Uh, whatever it may be, whatever phase of life, we want to encourage you because the Bible has something to say to you. And when the Bible speaks to us, we need to listen. So some of it's going to be very specific and practical, but that's not it. Because if that was it, you should probably only show up one out of every six weeks, right? (laughs) Because it might only one sermon may hit you directly. But the truth is that the second thing we want to do is to inspire and equip the church to care for people in every phase of life. That's where it gets a little bit more difficult. That's where we kind of take the blinders off of our little bubble and we think, oh, this person's over here in this phase of life, and God has called me to love them too. So how can the church love people in this phase of life, even though I've not yet reached that phase of life? 
or maybe I was in that phase of life 30 years ago, but where we as a church say we care about people who are in different phases of life than us. And beginning next week, we're even going to give you kind of a practical uh, action step to take. And so next week, it's going to be how can you care for children? And there's a practical action step that you can take, even if you don't have kids in your own home, that we as a church can care for children. So we'll do that each week. And then the third thing that we want to do is we want to align our children's ministry and youth ministry and our parents and the entire church so that if you kind of picture just a big, long rowboat, and we're all rowing at the same time in the same direction so that our paddles aren't clunking and hitting together and that one person isn't rowing with a big, long oar and the other person with a little plastic spoon. But we're all kind of rowing together at the same time as we try to think about how can we raise young children in this church who will grow into godly teenagers, who will grow into godly young adults and godly uh, employees and parents and grandparents and aunts and uncles and friends and neighbors uh, who are raising the next generation to be godly as they were. And we're thinking about this from a really big picture standpoint. And with some of the program changes that have happened even beginning today, uh, this is a great time to say, hey, we all have responsibility here as a church. And right now, uh, our children are downstairs, and they're going through a time where of, of teaching and learning about God's word and singing praises to God, and then they'll be breaking up into small groups um, where a, a teacher, small group leader will be with them to unpack that Bible lesson a little bit more for them and dialogue with them about that and pray for them. And so there's all of these things happening, and as a church, we want to be the best place we could ever possibly be uh, to help children learn to love God. And we all have a role to play in that. And so we don't want to miss a single phase of life. So there's 936 marbles here in between these two. And if, if you could imagine if they were all just in this bowl right now, and we've, we've had a whole bunch of people have babies in the last month. I think there's, we're up to like four now or four or five or something. There's all these babies around. And for those parents who have just had a baby, if they were to have all of these marbles, these 936 marbles, for every week of that child's life, if they took one marble and put it over here, at the end of 936, that child would be graduating high school. You only get your kids for 936 weeks. It's kind of crazy to think about. Kind of freaked me out when I first realized this. And, and then if, if we added some marbles here to where we had about 1,560 marbles, and each marble represented one week, that would, that would take you from the time of college to when your youngest child graduated high school and you were an empty nester again. Just 1,560 weeks, and you've gone from college to family to now empty nester again. And if you had another 1,560 marbles, you, and from that point on, you begin placing them over, that's about how long you have left to live. So 936, 1,560, 1,560, and that's it. Average lifespan of an American. And so what we want to help you do is not just to freak you out and not to make you panic, although parents, I think this wouldn't be a bad way to get a bunch of marbles in your house and really just think about like, this week matters. This week matters. Like I see, I see the 
the marbles starting to get more over here than they were here. And so every week matters, and we don't want to miss one phase of life. And I know that you all are in different phases. Um, some of you will be walking into a school tomorrow, either as a student or as a teacher. Some of you are currently grounded. Some of you have currently grounded someone just this past week. You don't have to raise your hands, but we could kind of connect those hands and put that all together. Some of you maybe stayed up till midnight working on an assignment for work or school this past week. That's your phase of life. Some of you changed a diaper in the last 24 hours. Some of you are just now remembering that you did not take that diaper out to the trash in the last 24 hours. <laughs> You'll know when you get home. Some of you are going to be going on a date this, this week. Some of you are going to be hanging out with friends on Friday night. Some of you feel like your whole week is booked solid. Some of you are hoping to hear from a grandchild this week. We're all in different phases, and sometimes they go so quickly. So we want you to watch this video as we think about how quick the phases in life can go. So pass the Kleenex and turn to 1 Timothy 5. Paul is writing to Timothy and to the church in 1 Timothy 5 as Timothy is leading this young church. And as I read 1 Timothy 5, 1 through 8, and I want you to read along with me, and I just want you to kind of make a mental note, a tally of all of the people in different phases of life uh, that this text applies to, it has application for. And so here we go, 1 Timothy 5, beginning in verse 1. Do not rebuke an older man harshly, but exhort him as if he were your father. Treat younger, brother, younger men as brothers, older women as mothers, and younger women as sisters with absolute purity. Give proper recognition to those widows who are really in need. But if a widow has children or grandchildren, these should learn first of all to put their religion into practice by caring for their own family and so repaying their parents and grandparents, for this is pleasing to God. The widow who is really in need and left all alone puts her hope in God and continues night and day to pray and to ask God for help. But the widow who lives for pleasure is dead even while she lives." Give the people these instructions so that no one may be open to blame. Anyone who does not provide for their relatives and especially for their own household has denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. There's lots of stuff going on with this text, and we could preach a whole sermon on caring for your family because that's in this text. And we could talk about, uh, really dive into each of how all these relationships intersect with one another but if you just kind of take a look at it and thinking about this series that we're jumping into, what strikes me is there's just all ages and phases here. You got grandparents and grandkids and kids and parents and married and single and men and women and brothers and sisters and treating each other that way. And that's God's ideal for the church, that you look at each other and you treat one another as Fathers and mothers and brothers and sisters and children and grandchildren and aunts and uncles. And there's this beautiful togetherness within the church. And Paul thinks it would be unthinkable for people who are not Christians to actually lead the way here. But that Christians ought to lead the way in caring for their own family and caring for their church family and as families, we are equipped to care for one another. As a church family, we're equipped to care for one another. 
so that people, regardless of their stage or their marital status or age, phase, background, skin color, money, that we just love one another because Christ has done a great work in our lives. If you think about the Bible, again, just kind of from a bird's eye view, you see God come to the Israelite nation and he says, you are my people. And as my people, you are to follow my decrees. You are to obey me. And you are to take care of one another and love one another. And you are to be a light to the nations so that people who aren't part of the people of God yet can become part of the people of God. And then we go all the way through the Old Testament. We get to the New Testament. And God says, church, it's not just a country now. The church, you are now the people of God. You've taken the place of Israel. You are the people of God. And you are to obey my commands and decrees and to follow in my ways. And you're to care for one another and love one another. And church, you are to be a light to the nations and to go to all the nations. So you see how that transitions there? So the, the church, that's us, that's you, that's me. We are to follow God's decrees because we are God's people. He cares for us, and he wants us to care for one another, and he wants when people see us to think, oh, there's something different about them that's really obvious. They love one another. If you look in the Gospels when Jesus gathers up his disciples, that was not an easy bunch of guys to bring together. I mean, you kind of read their backstories, and it's a, a, a crazy group of guys to bring all together. When we read about the early church, there's Jew and Gentile and male and female. There's the highest of society and the lowest of society all coming together to worship Jesus. That's what God has called the church to be. And I think in our day and time, it is becoming increasingly difficult for the church to love one another. I really do. I think the church has always had that challenge. It's why if you read the pages of the New Testament, there's so much airtime given to love one another, care for one another, pray for one another, do good to one another. There, there's all of this, all of these one another's in Scripture because God knew it would always be difficult. But I think in our day and time, it's almost like it's hard for a week to go by without this new line being divided and someone saying, if you're not with me, then you're against me, even though we both love Jesus. But if you think differently about this issue than I do, then you're not with me anymore. And so there's these, these splits that keep happening in churches. Uh, and I think social media contributes to this, but maybe it just gives voice to what's already in our heart sometimes. But there's all of this, if you're not with me, you're against me. And the church always has the most to lose. It, it's not a politician or social media or a certain issue, it's a, the church has, we have the most to lose anytime an issue comes up that threatens the unity of the church. Now, when the issue is, do we believe in Jesus or not, there's a line. But there's a whole lot of other issues that aren't that. And so it's going to be difficult for us to be one, for us to be together. But we believe with all of our hearts that that's what God has called us to be and to do. So we're going to have to pray a lot. We're going to have to listen a lot. We're going to have to care a lot. We're going to have to be humble. And, and we're going to we're gonna have to commit to this unity that God has called us to. There's a whole bunch of small groups that are launching um, tonight or later this week, depending on the day and time. 
And one of our prayers in the small groups is that as these people come together from different walks of life and different situations and all of that, that they will love one another and care for one another. And for any time that we have people together within the church, we want them to love one another and care for one another and be together. And it's a great opportunity to do that. There's a word that comes from Africa, and it's the word Ubuntu. And it means, I am because we are. I am because we are. So that the fabric of the people around me becomes part of my own DNA. And my community makes a difference in my life. An anthropologist was studying and thinking about this idea in Africa. He was at a, in a very poor village, and he was in this kind of classroom setting with a whole bunch of children. And he had them all line up uh, on one side of this room. And on the other side of the room, he took this great big basket of fruit. I mean, that would have been an enviable gift for any of those children. And there's a little bit of space between this big basket of fruit and all of these children. And he told the children, whoever races and gets to the fruit first can have the entire basket of fruit. And he said, on your mark, get set, go. And what happened, he could not believe because nobody ran. There was no discussion. There was no looking around saying, hey, what are we going to do? In unison, the children grabbed hands of the children next to them, and they walked across the room and arrived to the basket of fruit at the same time. The anthropologist was blown away, and he said, okay, you can share the fruit, but why did you do that? And the children responded, and they said, how can one of us be happy if the rest of us are sad? See, deep within them was this idea of Ubuntu, that we care for the community, all of us, everyone. And it reminds me of Ephesians 4. We don't have time uh, to, to go there this morning, but I would encourage you to mark that and study through that this week because Ephesians 4 just gives this great illustration talking about the family of Christ, the church, the body of Christ is what it's called in Ephesians 4. And it says, your right hand isn't going to work against your left hand. You know, it, it, they need each other. That they need to work together. And you don't want your right hand trying to punch your left hand. And you don't want your right hand just going off by itself doing its own thing unless you're with the Adams family. That might work. But eventually, you need everything. And your eyeball isn't going to go off and say, hey, I don't need the rest of my body. I'm fine on my own. I can do everything I need on my own. No, you're, the parts of your body realize we need each other to work together. And anytime one part hurts, the rest of the parts of the body try to help that. And so if you sprain your ankle, you, your arms might work extra on crutches to take some of the pain off of that ankle until it can grow strong. And as a church family, we're looking around saying, does anybody need extra care right now? Does anybody need extra help right now? Do we need to come beside? Do I need to kind of double down and work a little extra hard or do something so that we are caring for every part of the body? Philippians 2 says it like this. Look not to your own interest, but also to the interest of others. In light of this series, I would say this. Look not to your own phase of life, 
but look also to people in different phases of life. Care for every one. And when all this is said and done, we go back to Jesus is the foundation in all of this. In early childhood development, we believe that Jesus is the foundation. In the teenage years, we believe Jesus is the foundation. In young adult life, we believe Jesus is the foundation. In, in single life or married life, we believe Jesus is the foundation. In middle age life, we believe Jesus is the foundation. And when you're getting older in senior adult life, Jesus is the foundation. Rich or poor, whatever phase of life and place in life you find yourself, Jesus is the foundation, and we cling to that hope because there's nothing else we have to look to. And so as a church family, it's our prayer that you would come together with us and that we could all be together and say, because Jesus is our foundation, because he is good, because he died for us, not just for me, but for us. So every phase matters. Every person matters to God. And so I'm going to love every person. Would you pray with me? God, we thank you for your love for us. We do believe that every phase matters. Every person matters. Every life matters. Lord, we, we thank you that you've cared for us even when we were not easy and not very lovable, but you still cared for us. So God, we, we say thank you and help us to put aside our self, selfish interest and just the natural instinct to think about me and my phase and to think about every phase. And as a church family, as we go through this for the next six weeks, God, we come to you recognizing that you are our foundation in all of life. It's in Jesus' name we pray, amen.